Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Faye Bargery and I'm a market leader at Erwin Mitchell and today we're going to be discussing why it's important to put plans in place to protect your business and your personal life. I'm delighted that joining me today is Helen Clark and Yusufa Hazara from our international and high net worth team and also Sarah Balfour from our family team. We'll be discussing all the tools that you need to make an effective plan for your estate, your business and also future generations. Thank you all for joining us. So we're going to start with looking at business and personal planning and what the most common problem is for clients. Um, my background is as a corporate lawyer. So I would say for me, it's when people come to exit their business and then realise they haven't put in place the personal planning that they could have done beforehand to make it more tax efficient, to deliver what they're looking for on a personal basis. So for me, it's not thinking about that early stage. Um, I wonder, Helen, if I can come to you, what's the most common thing you see with business and personal planning issues for your clients? For me, um, with my clients, it's always, you know, the business owners want to manage risk and at the same time to protect themselves and to protect their families. So they have built up a lot of personal wealth in their company and they want to know that if they were to pass away or lose capacity, that they have an effective strategy in place, both in the corporate documents, in their wills and that effective lasting plans of attorney are in place. So it's protection to manage risk to ensure that you know when life's events occur that everybody is is looked after. Fantastic and and Yusufa what's one of the the common problems that you come across? I think one of the key issues for my clients is normally they are very uh, worried about the business itself the day-to-day management but what uh, they don't think about is actually what would happen if uh, say they lost capacity or uh, they're away and they cannot make the day-to-day business decisions. So one of my jobs is to make sure that the clients think of their business holistically and not just think about the little bits or the small aspects um, that might be to do with the corporate elements. So my job is to make sure that they think of themselves as the individual behind the company and also think about the business itself. And uh, most of what I do is flagging those key points and making sure that they are directed to the individual to help them with those aspects. That That's great. And we'll touch on that later because I know um, it is one of the key things I, I come across as a, a corporate lawyer that if they haven't got things in place and they haven't got that personal element, it's easy to focus on the business absolute disaster when they don't think about those things behind the scenes. And finally, Sarah, what what do you see as sort of common issues um, when looking at business and personal planning? It's actually very similar to to, to what what all of you have have said um, in terms of your clients. So I see some clients who want to take relationship advice when they're entering into a new relationship. So be that living with a partner or marrying. by far and away, the, the the biggest category of clients is, is those who are already separating. So um, are separating from a, a partner or, or divorcing a, a spouse. And they are incredibly worried about how their business assets, how their company it is going to be dealt with um, within that separation. Um, and the biggest area of risk for them it is really that they've made decisions sometimes on the basis of advice um but 
isolated advice. Um, so they've made decisions that they think will result in a more tax efficient outcome, but they haven't necessarily considered the, the family law and the relationship implications of that. Um, I, I always give one example uh, of a client. Um, he was a gentleman who I acted for who had been in relationship with his partner for a long time. Um, they'd had two children who were grown up and they'd left home. They were not married. They, they decided that it just wasn't something that appealed to them when they were younger. Um, but he was told um, by his tax advisors at the time, um, not us, I, I hesitate, I don't hesitate to, to, to highlight it wasn't us, um, that it would be a good idea, which it probably was, um, to marry for tax planning reasons. It would give him a, a lot of, of options that wouldn't otherwise be open to him. Um, but what he didn't get is family law advice on the implications of, of marrying. So he went or, or his partner went overnight from not really having any claim against the business at all because it had been in his sole name, regardless of any contribution she, she might have made to their relationship, um, to being a matrimonial asset. Um, and the length of their cohabitation was was added on to the length of the marriage. And she ended up with 50 percent or in fact a little bit more um, of that of that business value. Um, and, you know, you might say that that was the right outcome because they'd been together for a lifetime and had children together. But actually, that's not that's not the important thing. The important thing for me is that he didn't know the implications of what he was doing. He didn't have. Um, a holistic view he couldn't make an informed choice because he'd taken advice in isolation and that's that's a theme that I see all the time um, people making decisions without the full information. Thanks Sherry that's a, a great example there um, and I'm just going to touch on that now and I think the, the key themes that have come out of that are, are risk and and holistic advice and I think really that's why it's really important for people to plan and I think, you know, people look at their business and their personal life and often we can try and separate the two and say, I don't want them to overlap too much. I want to keep my business in in one box and I want to keep my personal life in another. But actually, when we are looking at our plans for the future and when we're looking at whether it's legal advice, financial advice, it is really important that the two things are aligned and that your advisors are aligned as well. And that example you've just given there, Sarah, illustrates that perfectly. So, you know, making sure that your advisors are coming together and saying, OK, well, what do you want from your personal life? What do you want from your business life? When might an exit happen? What might happen in personal life in terms of, for example, inheritance, um, if something were to happen to you? If the two things aligned then what you're going to do is end up with huge issues um further down the further down the line so it's really important to to think about the whole thing in the round and yes you might want to you know put your business to on one side and your personal on the other but make sure that you're having that holistic advice that your advisors are talking to each other um you know if they're not necessarily from the same firm or you may have accountants and or personal tax advisors make sure that you've got a team i think is really important um and bringing everybody together so that you know that they are all aligned and that they are all set on in obtaining the same goal is really important and i think the one thing i just wanted to add on that is that plans change 
um, I think it's one of the things all of us on on this podcast will have seen is that our clients' plans, they will change over time, whether that's from external circumstances, things like COVID, or personal circumstances, business, um, or indeed family circumstances. So just because what you've got now and all of the amazing documentation that you've put in place all works for you right now, in five years' time, that may not be the case. So keep thinking about what is what are your plans? Have they changed? What needs to change with them? What's the documentation that needs to change with them? So on that, we're going to talk a little bit now about your documentation um, for you as an individual, but also for your business. Um, and making sure that that paperwork, I know we all hate doing lots of paperwork, but unfortunately, it's really important in life. Um, particularly when you've got different aspects such as a, a business and your individual plans. So we're just going to look a little bit about some of the pay, key paperwork and key documentation that we recommend you have in place and the importance of making sure it's up to date and refreshed on a regular basis. So the first thing I wanted to touch on is from a corporate perspective, you know, if you have a company, you'll have um, articles of association, but if there are multiple shareholders, you should also absolutely have a shareholders agreement. And what that does is, is regulate the business. It regulates the ownership and the management, and it gives you clarity in terms of who can do what, um, what the direction of the business is, potentially the exit routes as well. So who can be, be issued shares? Who can you sell those shares to? And I think that's really important to give you absolute clarity, particularly when there might be family businesses. So it may be husbands and wives holding shares. It may be brothers and sisters. Um, it's really important to have absolute clarity on when people can sell, who they can sell to, and so that you're really aligned on that. So the first thing I would say is have a look at your shareholders agreements and articles. And also have a look at when they were last updated. Um, it might be some time ago and the value of your business can absolutely have changed and the direction of your personal life can have changed. So really have a think about, is that paperwork up to date? Do I have it? Um, does it need a review? Have my circumstances changed? Have the circumstances of my business partner changed? So that's the first thing I wanted to, to um, look at. Then I wanted to, to bring in um, Helen and Yusufa, really, in terms of the personal aspect. What kind of documentation do people need to have there um, when they're thinking about their future plans, both for a business and um, also personally? Helen, if I can come to you first, if that's OK. Thank you, Faye. Yeah, tying in with what you said, and I've seen lots of examples where there is often a misunderstanding um, with clients and when we discuss their estate planning and how they will provide for spouse and children um, on death, often their response is, well, they'll um, work in the business, they'll get the income from the business, they'll be absolutely fine. But when we when we look with you at the shareholders agreement, there may be transfer restrictions, the shares might not be able to pass to spouse and spouse might not want to work in the business. So it's really important that the corporate documents enable both what the um, shareholders of the company want to happen to those shares and also that the will reflects 
this and that there's a thought out strategy. So we would want to be able to capture tax reliefs. So it's very important that the way that the shareholders agreement is drafted, that it doesn't deny business property relief for inheritance tax. So we would work alongside you to look at that position. And then we would look at the client's will to enable that those shares, that the inheritance tax relief for business property can be captured in the will, that there's a well thought out will in place and that the trustees who will hold those shares um, during the administration period will be able to realise the value for the family. So it's so important to work together. If those documents don't work together, there can be conflict. And sadly, we've seen lots of situations where it can leave a family in crisis. Thanks, Helen. And th that's absolutely true. I know we've worked together on situations where, um, you know, it, it's it often at those points it's the you know it's the most stressful time in people's lives and the last thing they need to be dealing with is thinking about businesses and how they run them and what do they do um so getting that all uh, organized in advance is really critical and and on that point Yusufa you mentioned earlier about powers of attorney um and obviously when something does go wrong when someone can't work in the business for whatever reason that's a really stressful time for families so what can people do with powers of attorney to try and make that a, a bit of a smoother process and try and make life easier for themselves? Yes, yeah, so unfortunately, what we see with clients is there's um, little contingency planning for when it comes to ill health or and incapacity. And those are concepts that are often overlooked when uh, clients come to us. Um, I mean, for example, I asked my clients, what would happen if you are a business owner? If you can't make a decision, what would happen to the business? Who pays the contracts? Who deals with the suppliers? How do you pay your staff, for example? Uh, when it comes to lasting powers of attorney, um, that can be a very good tool to put um, a, a strategy in place to make sure that you have somebody appointed to act on your behalf. If you're no longer able to make decisions or you can't make a decision because you're away for a while or you're having an operation and cannot make um, decisions in the interim, so normally with my clients, I uh, take them through the different types of powers of attorney that we have. We have the general power of attorney, but unfortunately that can that stops working when um, the person loses capacity. So we normally go for the lasting power of attorney, which endures beyond the loss of capacity. And it's a long term, sort of like an insurance policy for long term when it comes to mental capacity. There are two types of lasting powers of attorney. So the first one is for your property and financial affairs. And then there's another one for the health and welfare. And often our clients do the two of them together. And one advice we give to our clients is fine, you can have a lasting power of attorney for the personal aspects, but how about your business? You might want to appoint somebody who knows more about your business, who's been involved in the business throughout. Your spouse might not be um, the right person to continue the business or act and make decisions on your behalf if uh, you uh, you have lost capacity or are unable to make decisions. So we take uh, the clients through those options, uh, get them powers of attorney in place, one for the personal assets, one for the business assets. And often the power of attorney might not just be the only answer because um, depending on the structure of the business, um, there might be other documents you have to look at. So as you all mentioned, um, shareholders agreement, uh, might become important. There might be provisions in there that deals with who should act on capacity if someone's lost capacity. Uh, when it comes to a sole trader, a lasting power of attorney for business works really well because 
the attorney can step into the shoes and continue the business. If you're in a if you're a partner in a partnership, the position will depend on what the partnership agreement says and um, what the provisions are about the partner losing mental capacity. Uh, but for a business which is a limited company, the position can be quite complicated. Um, and often it's quite surprising how many clients um, do not know that when a company's director loses capacity, there are standard model articles that um, stops the director from being able to act any longer. So there are termination clauses in the articles of association. So especially for businesses where there are sole directors, it's very important that there are other documents to enable uh, the business to continue or somebody to come in and uh, make those decisions. Um, because again, the director's duties are personal. So a lasting power of attorney for business uh, cannot be, uh, you cannot delegate to an attorney. So again, we have these conversations with our clients. We make sure that um, all the positions are aligned together. Sometimes, as I said, an LPA might be appropriate for the business aspects, but other times you have to do more than just draft a lasting power of attorney and make sure that the company articles themselves are, uh, have mechanisms in place for when somebody loses capacity. Thank you, Yusufa. So I think there again, key message is about aligning all of your your personal and your business and making sure the documents work together. Um, I mentioned earlier about a lot of companies having shareholders, husbands and wives together, and often that can be based for tax reasons. Um, but relationships change. And so, Sarah, what documentation should people put in place to try and protect um, themselves if something does change, if, if that relationship does end? What can people do in advance or, or what documentation should they have? That's a really it's a really good question, Faye. Um, I, I think the, the most important thing, particularly if businesses are held in, in in joint names. Now, whether that's because both spouses actively work in the business and run it together, or things have been put into um, both spouses' names for, for other, other reasons, reasons of efficiency or tax or, or things like that, the most important thing is understanding the implications. Um, so putting a business into joint names can mean it's more likely to be shared or to be shared equally upon a divorce whereas if a business is kept in one person's sole name it, it might be more protected so there are implications of how things are held there are also implications of the documentation that you have in place so if there is a shareholders agreement that restricts the transferability of shares and this is something that, that helen um touched on in the respect of, in respect of inheritance um but on divorce also that shareholders agreement will have impact it will have impact on what a family court can do, the sorts of orders that it can make. Um, and it can also have an impact on the valuation of assets. Um, if, for example, the Articles of Association or Shareholders Agreement provide for a particular mechanism for valuation of, of shares, if they provide for um the application of a of a discount in valuation, then that also will have relevance on calculations undertaken during a divorce. So it, it's really important um, that people get proper advice um, on this, and particularly um, if a client wants to protect a business, because a, a business can have a a value to someone that's over and above just its financial value. It can have a, a real emotional tie. People spend. 
um, years of their life, you know, putting their heart and soul into their businesses. Sometimes, you know, they're passed on from um, parents, grandparents, you know, legacy businesses that are held in families for generation upon generation. So if something means so much to you, it's really important to get advice about the implications of what you're doing. Um, a number of clients um, are now looking at pre and post nuptial agreements in order to protect their businesses. Um, and I am I am a big fan of these documents. Um, they're not strictly binding under English um, matrimonial law. So that means that um, it's not an automatic ring fencing um, of an asset. But if certain criteria are met, then um, the courts have decided that unless they create a manifest unfairness, they should be upheld. Um, and the rationale for that is that uh, when consenting adults come together, they have advice, they make informed decisions. There's been uh, a full and frank exchange of, of relevant information. Then who is the court um, to stand in the way of that and to, to step in and impose an outcome that neither party may think is fair? So so they're really increasing in popularity and they're definitely a, a tool um, that I would encourage everybody to, to, to look at. They're, they're not cynical documents. They can be used and they can be agreed in a collaborative way. Um, and for me, they bring certainty. And that's the most important thing, certainty and control insofar as it's possible. Thank you, Sarah. And just to round that up, I think that's a great message to end on in terms of that level of certainty, control, minimising and um, looking after that risk so you know what your risks are. The key message there is is bring everything together, look at things in the round, plan in the round, whether it you know your personal, your business, bring it all together. Don't just go to one person to talk about one thing and one person to talk about the other and that they never, you know, the two never meet and the two never speak to each other. Make sure that your team of advisors is working together, that each document talks to the other documents and that really will avoid you problems down the line. It will mean that it should something happen, your personal, your business, your family, everything is completely aligned. And frankly, it de-stresses, de-risks issues for you, for your family, which I think is what we're we're all really trying to achieve. Um, there's one thing I did want to touch on, um, which I think some people hear about trusts. And actually, if I just stick everything in a trust, it'll all be OK. Um, and I just I'm hoping, Helen, you can help us try and demystify trusts and whether they are this amazing panacea and what they do. So trusts work very well for business owner clients if they have a trading company and their company meets the requirements, the statutory requirements for business property relief to be available for inheritance tax purposes. So um, since 2006, it's quite limited what can go into trusts. An individual can settle their nil rate band of 325,000. However, if they have shares that qualify for business property relief at the rate of 100% from inheritance tax, then they can actually transfer shares to the trust without triggering any tax charges. And essentially what the trust is, is you're giving assets away 
but you're retaining control. So um, the business owners could act as the trustees over those shares. They can hold the legal title. They can exercise the rights in respect of those shares. But you have a beneficial class for whom those shares are held. So you have asset protection and control. And then after seven years, your nil rate band refreshes. If you haven't used a nil rate band at all, if you've had 100% business property relief after seven years, there are no clawback issues. So you've effectively given away what could be quite a sizable asset whilst enabling protection and control for the family. Now, um, Sarah will be able to comment on nuptial settlements and the view that the court takes in respect of trusts. So from, from a divorce perspective, obviously assets that, that are held in trust are, are not held but by the parties to, to the divorce. Um, however, there is a, a provision of the law that applies to divorcing couples that enables um, the family court to vary what it deems to be a nuptial settlement. So, so a nuptial trust. Um, and there's no definition as such of, of what a nuptial trust is, but it has to be closely enough aligned to the marriage. Um, and there's some suggestion that um, a, a spouse being either a named beneficiary of a trust or falling within the class of beneficiaries of the trust would be enough to, to make it a nuptial settlement. Now, the, the, the legal position is, is, is not very black and white. It, it's, it's a grey area. But if you're talking about managing risk, and that's what all of us want to do, um, you know, I as a family lawyer don't want to be a distressed purchase. I don't want to be here when things have gone wrong. I want to step in to prevent things from, from going wrong. So so what we do and, and what our team does very often with Helen and Yusufa and with you, Faye, is, is to talk about how we stop trusts from being considered um, nuptial. And we can talk about specific provisions that are included or not included, who goes in um, as a beneficiary. Um, we can also talk about you know, who the settler of the, of the trust is, dynastic trusts, um, and those that have lasted for many generations that were, that were settled before the relationship in question even began, for example, are going to be much less likely to be considered a nuptial settlement. Um, so the earlier you, you, you settle assets into trust, maybe the better. Um, and so there's lots and lots of considerations. There's lots of things that people can do to, to manage their risk. Thank you, Sarah and Helen. So, so trust can be helpful and indeed something it sounds like people should be thinking about, but thinking about them again in that holistic way, making sure they're looking at them from the personal angle, from the family angle as well. The last thing I just wanted to, to touch on um, was business exit. And, and obviously, for a lot of individuals, um, I think Sarah mentioned it earlier that, you know, working and building a business is a, is a life's work. Um, and then there is likely to be an exit at some point. And that's really what, you know, you, what you build for. And that's about all about maintaining and maximising the value from the, that business exit. So I just wanted to, to touch on a couple of things and, and then perhaps bring, bring a bit of conversation in about um, succession planning and, and what people do with that value once it's generated. But I think in terms of ensuring that they're when they're looking at a business exit what I would be advising business owners is to go back 
to what was that plan when you were talking about you know your business and your personal where do you want to be in five years time what does that plan look like think about why you're exiting is it to have significant value um you know significant cash that you want at that stage is it perhaps an earn out you're happy with that to have some consideration further down the line and if you are looking for cash what number do you need what what you know what is your lifestyle going to look like and not just your lifestyle what perhaps might your family's lifestyle look like are you looking to give value to the next generation so i think when when you're looking at business exit the very first thing as a corporate lawyer that i would say is consider why you're doing it what you are what outcome do you want to achieve because then your advisors absolutely will be working for you and your best interest because they know what your objectives for the exit are but Helen, if I can just bring you in there, in terms of looking at sort of passing on, for example, to the next generation, are there things, succession planning, and also looking at what people can do in advance of an exit that they should be thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. So if, if a client is selling the business um, and exiting that way, then they are able to think about utilising tax reliefs, making sure that the sale of their shares and any other family members who might hold shares in an office in the business, that their shares can be sold tax efficiently, that it would qualify for um, business asset disposal relief for capital gains tax. So it, it's very, very timely. You need to, you know, a few years before an exit, you need to make sure that everything is aligned and that all of the statutory periods are met. But also, clients want to look at the inheritance tax position if they have a trading company that qualifies for this hugely valuable um, business property relief at 100%. If this isn't used or um, replacement business property isn't acquired after sale, they've gone from having, for example, if a business were worth £10 million, um, £10 million relieved, um, no inheritance tax on it because it's a trading company, to then having £10 million in their estate, the cash, that is then subject to 40% inheritance tax. So clients really ought to think about whether they can afford to give away some of the shares in advance of sale, often using a trust so that the control is there. And then we would work with your team, Faye, um, with regard to any agreements that were going to be negotiated so that they are able to give the shares to a family trust, for example, that the transfer restrictions and the company documents permit it. There is a lot to think through. And I think once you get into your transaction, a client can become less focused on the personal planning side, hence why it's really important to have these conversations early. I couldn't agree more. I think, um, frankly, once you get into the, the transaction itself, you're going to be speaking to your lawyer all the time and it's going to be about the business. It's going to be about um, all of the information on it. And you're not going to have time to think of that personal aspect. So plan early, I think, is the, the key message there. Um, and get, you know, if, if you've got particular objectives that you want to achieve, make sure that you're planning early and you're putting that document in, documentation in place at a nice early stage. So I just wanted to round up and, and ask the panel what the main takeaways and the biggest piece of advice you've got for the listeners. Um, so Yusufa, if I could come to you first, what's your biggest piece of advice for, for our listeners when they're thinking about their business and their personal planning? 
I think you've already said it, Faye, uh, plan early, uh, plan together, look at everything holistically and try and not rely on informal arrangements, have agreed clear and plans in place. And this is no matter how big your business is, it um, impacts um, everybody. So um, whenever you're thinking about planning, don't forget to align both the personal and the business together. Don't treat things in isolation. Thank you. And Sarah, what about yourself? What's the biggest piece of advice you can give? I think actually I would I would absolutely echo what Yusufa has said. Um, the don't rely on informal arrangements and don't presume something's going to happen um, because it just naturally would, because that's when problems arise. So it's it, it's making presumptions that may not actually turn out to be correct. That, that's dangerous. Inform yourself properly. Um, make decisions based on comprehensive advice. Ultimately, you know, you're the boss, you make the decisions, but make sure you have enough information so that you're satisfied um, that you are truly informed as to the consequences. Thanks, Sarah. And Helen, anything else you'd like to add? Quite simply, just that it pays to plan. Um, I've seen so many clients in awful situations when there's been a you know a tragedy in a family and it it can really um it can be quite devastating so it really does pay to plan and to make sure that all of those risks are managed um to put in place protection for the business and for the family thanks helen and i think from my perspective i would say make sure you have your team of advisors are working together and that you have a you know you've got that trust in them and sometimes that can be takes time to build up and sometimes you'll find that actually you know the advisors they you need them to work together you need them to give that holistic advice to make sure that we're not ignoring one area to the you know or focusing on one area to the detriment of another so think early get that team around you get a team in place that you trust and that really understand what you want out of your life personally and for your business and then frankly that will help them deliver it in the best possible way so that's it for today thank you still for listening to the Erwin Mitchell podcast um, I know I've really enjoyed the conversation today and I hope you have if you found it interesting then please join us for the next episode bye for now <laughs>